Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. I'd love it if you would uh, take a Bible out, if you have one, and we're going to be in 1 Peter, which um, you'll find right at the back Right at the back of your Bible, you'll find the book of Revelation, then you'll find the letters of John, and then you'll find Peter. Peter's written by probably Jesus' best friend, the fisherman Peter. And he gets towards the end of his life, and he starts to write things about God and about what it means to be on family with God to the people of God. And so we want to talk today about bricks, which is a bit random. I know, but we've, uh, we've decided that this is a, an all-in Sunday. It's uh, a Sunday where we talk about what it means to be family, what it means to be the family of God, what it means to be the household of God, why we do this thing, why we bother to come together in any way, shape, or form. And I've got bricks out here, probably because my favorite TV shows are uh, things like Grand Designs. I know that makes me middle-aged and old and slightly boring, but I totally love shows like that. I love shows where you have kind of run-down old houses and you get to kind of redevelop them. I love shows where someone buys a plot of land and they get to kind of imagine their dream and build their dream on that plot of land. I love old lighthouses. I love water towers. I love hobbit houses under the ground. I love the whole thing. It's absolutely brilliant. I just love watching these things. And what I want to talk to you today is about how we build and why we build and why we bother building. Because God is a builder. God is in the business of building. And what he's in the business of building is something so much more beautiful and so much more powerful than anything could, that can be built by human hands alone. It's interesting, isn't it, that we come to talk about building a family and what it means to be family and what it means to love people and what it means to build with the qualities of Jesus against a backdrop of 129 people being killed or 43 in Beirut. It seems to me that, that actually we are called to build something in opposition to evil, in opposition to anxiety and fear that will shine in a way that the church has never shone before. There has never been a time, a better time, a more important time to be the church and to be family And you might say, well, Carl, what in the world has bricks got to do with anything? And honestly, my staff team are so sick of bricks. Because I had this idea about three weeks ago that we were going to get hundreds of bricks. And they were going to be Edinburgh bricks, like that. Because because I had one in my office, an Edinburgh brick that I was given prophetically. And so I told them, I said, go and get me Edinburgh bricks. But apparently you can't get Edinburgh bricks anymore. Or if you can, they cost an absolute bomb because they stopped making Edinburgh bricks like this like 50 or 60 years ago. And so the only way to get Edinburgh bricks is to knock down a building, which I asked them to do. But nobody would do it for me. So we basically got these bricks came, old salvage bricks, but they have Glasgow stamped on them. (laughs) 
just a bit random, but maybe it's prophetic, but, but who knows? But what have bricks got to do with anything? Well, you see, here's the thing. I think Jesus was a bricky. He wasn't a carpenter. Now, you, you probably thought that Jesus was a carpenter, didn't you? You probably thought that Jesus grew up with his dad and he made tables and he made chairs and, and that's how he... But Jesus almost certainly wasn't a carpenter. He was a builder. The, the word in the Greek is the word tecton and it means builder. And what happened it was that in the Middle Ages when the Bible was being translated into English, into the common tongue, the, the, the understanding was that every builder was a carpenter because the way in which you built houses back in the day was with wood. But the way in which you built houses back in Jesus' day was with stones. Because they didn't have the wood, but they had stones. Three miles away from Nazareth where Jesus was brought up was the biggest quarry in Israel in Palestine at the time. And almost certainly Joseph, Jesus' dad, I'm not making this up by the way, almost certainly Joseph, Jesus' dad, was a stonemason. And almost certainly Jesus was a stonemason. And, and that's why when you read the New Testament, Jesus speaks again and again and again in imagery about rocks and stones. He talks of himself as the cornerstone, as the capstone. He's always talking about building and stones. Isn't that interesting? And so when we start to build... All we're doing is building in the image of Jesus. All we're doing is following on the family business. You see, Jesus comes to the temple in Mark's gospel in chapter 13. And in Mark's gospel in chapter 13, he sees this incredible edifice called the temple. It was perhaps the greatest uh, building of the generation. It was huge. It was massive. The stones were colossal. And uh, Jesus says these stones will be knocked down. This whole human construct is going to be gone. And he starts to speak of the signs of the end of the age. This is relevant, by the way. He says, chaos will be the order of the day when the end times are here. He says that evil will appear to have the upper hand when the end times are here. He says that love will turn to hate when the end times are here. He says even the natural order will begin to disintegrate the world will begin to fall apart. And without doing any weirdy, weirdy, end times, freaky stuff, it would be quite difficult not to go tick, 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 tick. These things are happening. And Jesus says, in amongst all these things that are happening, all the human institutions will fall down. All the things you're banking your life on, all the religious stuff will fall. It will crumble because it's made by human hands. It's not, it's not building in the way that I want to build. But in, these, in this process and at this time, you are going to build something that is going to last for eternity. You all, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. This temple is just temporal. It's going to be gone. It's going to get knocked down. They knew that was going to happen. But the other temple that I am building, where I dwell, will be in you and will be for eternity. I'm going to ask you to build something that is totally other, that is totally different. And will change the world. God's in the business of building. You know, there are so many statistics around about the state of the church. And uh, I don't know what it is. We kind of live in a day and age where we like to measure everything and count everything. And we usually like to measure things so we can have a go at each other about how miserable stuff is. 
But one of the statistics that I was being told about just recently is this. In Scotland, there's been a 27% decline in church membership in the last five years. 27% decline in church membership in the last five years. If you are part of the Church of Scotland, it will be a 35% decline in church membership in the past five years. And you could come away from those statistics just feeling really, really miserable and saying the church is done, it's the end, we may as well give up. I, I tend to think exactly the flip, the opposite. I tend to think we've never had it so good. There's never been an opportunity for the the, the light of God to shine in such an incredible way in the darkness. There has never been an opportunity where the human institutions are falling, just as Jesus said, are collapsing. Where the stuff we built with bricks and the layers upon layers of religion and you need to behave like this and you need to do this and you're in if you do these things and you're out if you do these things. They are crumbling and they are falling and people are saying, I'm not doing that anymore. There's never been an opportunity for the people of God to say, hey, this is who Jesus is. And we're building something that will last based on the person of Jesus. And so to Peter, that was just an introduction. It's going to be a long one. Buckle up. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we read this. This is really interesting stuff. So Peter, Peter's Jesus' best friend, and uh, Peter wasn't his real name. Peter's real name was Simon, you'll remember. And uh, Simon comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm going to rename you, and I'm going to call you Peter. Peter is, is the Greek name Cephas, and Cephas means rock or stone. Hmm. So Jesus says, I'm the big stone, I'm the cornerstone, I'm the capstone, and you're going to be little stone, and on that stone, I'm going to build my church. Isn't that interesting? So what Peter is being introduced to is the family business. Peter's being told by Jesus, this is what I do, I build. I build stuff, I build spiritual houses, I build spiritual homes, I change things. And by the way, you're my best friend and you're being invited into the family business. I'm even going to name you after the family business. And it's fascinating, we haven't got time now, but when Peter begins to preach and Peter begins to talk, he always uses the imagery of stones being built into spiritual houses again and again and again and again. Because he gets it. We are supposed to build something different. Here it is. Let's read. Therefore, you need to realize this. Peter is writing against the backdrop of Nero's Rome. So if you think we've got it bad, and you think that we should be afraid, and you think that we should be anxious about what's going on in this world, Peter's friends and family if they weren't already, were about to go to the Colosseum to be eaten by lions. They were about to be lit up like torches. They were certainly passed over for any kind of job, any kind of promotion, and they were the scum of the earth, the lowest of the low. And Peter writes, and what he says is, God's building a spiritual house. Listen, therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, All hypocrisy, all envy, all slander of any kind. Like newborn babies, craves pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. 
as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the bill has rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Holy Spirit, we just invite you in these moments to speak truth to our hearts and lives. Would you, would you speak to us in a way that changes us? Because we are just not interested in coming here singing songs and leaving no different. Would you speak to us to encourage us, to change us, to grow us so that we might co-build with we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that tonight, and in amongst all the brick stuff and the stuff that you may want to sign or not want to sign, effectively God just wants to invite you into the family business. That's what he wants to do. He wants to say, do you want to build like Jesus? And do you want to build the stuff that Jesus builds? Forget the church thing. Forget, forget the structures for a moment. Forget the name above the door. Do you want to build the thing that Jesus is building. Because if you do, what I'm calling is for architects and laborers and engineers and surveyors and artists and landscape gardeners and plumbers who will allow the flow and electricians who will turn on the lights. I want people who will build spiritual households, who will build family. And Peter talks about stones. He says, he says, there is one singular stone. Don't get me wrong. There is one stone. That stone is Jesus. He is the living rock. Jesus spoke about it again and again. He said that he is the cornerstone. And when his audiences understood uh, the story, they, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Because when you built back in the day, you just found a great big rock. That's how you built. You found a huge rock and you built everything off that rock. You didn't start with a brick. You started with a huge rock that could not be moved. And you built everything off that rock. That was called the cornerstone. And Jesus says, I am the cornerstone. And Peter says, he is the living stone. And you are living stones. Connected to the living stone. You're the living stones. And you're being built into a spiritual house. We're supposed to construct a community that screams of the hope and life and compassion and mercy and truth of Jesus. When people look at the communities we construct, they ought to go, wow, 
That's so different. What is that? What even is that in the words of my youngest daughter? What even is that? What is it? What is that thing? What even is that? Because this is, this is life and this is grace. In a world of chaos, this is clarity. In a world of fear, this is peace. In a world of confusion, this is truth. There's something about these people building a spiritual house. And when we talk about spiritual house, there is a danger, isn't there? Particularly after the events of yesterday. There's a danger that we begin to think that this becomes a self-indulgent, hide-me-from-the-storm spiritual house. You know, as long as we're covered by God and we're, we, you know, we're sorted by him and we're safe and we've got to get out of hell free cards and it's all going to be okay for us. No, 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 no. Because this is the spiritual house of Jesus who always steps out, always takes risks, always shows compassion, always speaks truth, always gets involved. This is the kind of spiritual house he is calling us to build. You are like living stones, plural, together, together, plural, this is so countercultural, so counterintuitive that we are family and we stick together and we grow together and we build together. We live in a world of radical and rampant and dangerous individuality, don't we? It's me and my small corner doing my thing. And, and if we get expansive, it becomes me and my partner and my nuclear family in our small corner doing our thing, protecting our stuff. And I think God would say, that's not the way I engineered it or planned it. I'm inclusive. I'm building something incredibly beautiful that is going to change the world. You're like living stones. You don't make a a building with a brick. You make a brick with a brick. You make a building with bricks. You make with lots of bricks. And you you don't make a building that stands with bricks that are not joined together in a helpful and effective way because they just fall down. I was about to knock them down in some kind of ridiculous visual aid, but there's some expensive equipment behind there and I'd probably end up paying for it. But, you know, you don't. You don't build something in a disjointed way with bricks because you'll just knock it down. What you're building is not a building, it's a ruin. And that's why Peter says, look, verses 1 to 3. If you're going to be living stones, and this is going to be a spiritual house, and it's going to be a witness to the world, and God is going to receive glory, and it's going to scream that God is alive and there is hope in this world, then would you put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind? In other words, would you stop comparing yourself one with another because that's a nonsense thing to do? Would you stop looking around going, well, if only I had, if it's all right for them, or I wish I was like, or if only I had those gifts and abilities to that person that is the biggest piece of nonsense and would we stop comparing ourselves with other churches or other church families and going, if, if only we were there or if only we did this if only we didn't have that pastor or whatever we say and do because it's offensive to God who's doing his thing and we are the family of God the body of Christ and we're building a spiritual house And so Peter says, there's a, there is one stone, but you're living stones. You're living stones. And, and I guess the challenge is, if you've hung around church at all for any length of time and you've read the Bible, is you, we know that. 
And we've been through membership stuff and we've talked about becoming part of stuff. And we've had preachers even go, come on, let's join the family. And we've done visual things and, 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 and it hasn't kind of worked for us. I know that. I guess I want to say this. I love the home shows. I love um, grand designs and I, I love renovation stuff. And if Nikki ever, you know, Nikki's got an easy deal really. If she ever, if she ever sneaks off to bed early, I, I, I flick on. I don't flick on anything dodgy. I just flick on house shows. It's kind of secret pleasure late at night. And, and my, my kind of, my kind of um, secret passion if you really pushed me, would be one day I would love to inherit a piece of land by the sea on the coast in Scotland with three run-down crofts. And those three run-down crofts are all going to be renovated by me. And I'm going to build glass walkways between the crofts. They're going to have glass roofs so you can lie there at night and hear the rain beating down at you. They're all going to have wood-burning stoves and I'm going to have those, those, don't know what they call them. (laughs) Verandas? No. Patios? (laughs) Stuff that comes out of your house that's outside. And it's going to be a private beach. And it's going to be mine. And there's going to be no one around. And it's going to be incredible for about a week because I'm an extreme extrovert and I go completely mad. But here's the thing. I don't have any creative... Well, no, that's not true. I don't have any practical bone in my body. I can't change light bulbs. I don't know how to, I don't know how to wire anything or screw anything, but in my head, I can do all this stuff. And then within, within minutes of beginning to think about these crofts that I'm going to do all this stuff and build this thing, I begin to make excuses and say, well, well you know, my, my dad wasn't very handy and he never did these things and he never taught me how to do these things. So how can it be expected of me? I don't have those genes in my body. And the interesting thing is, however, be, I don't know where this illustration is going. <laughs> The interesting thing is, however beautiful that description is and idyllic it is, it has got nothing on what Peter talks about when he talks about a spiritual house. Nothing. Just listen to this. You are a chosen people. God has placed his finger on you. You are a royal priest. You get to represent God. You get to stand in the gap. You you get to represent God to people and people to God. You are a holy nation together. So God is doing something incredible with us. You are a people belonging to God. You're supposed to build something that declares the praises of him who called you out of darkness. It's an incredibly beautiful description. And, 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 And yet we do, you do, exactly what I do when I watch Grand Designs. We make excuses as to why we can't do it. Don't we? So we, we hear Peter say, you're a chosen people, and we pick up a brick, and we sign a thing, and we, we, we're ready to go all in, and we go, well, actually, I'm not chosen. He's chosen. She's chosen. They're chosen. They're gifted. They're called. They're leaders. They're obvious. And probably in the back of our minds, we've got the playground in our heads. I don't know if you were ever in the playground, and they picked teams. Were you there? I was there. And, and, and there were two captains and they went, I'll have you and I'll have you and I'll have you and I'll have you. And then there was always some poor guy. And they, they look at each other and go, 
you can have him. Or, even worse, there are a group of them, and one captain turns to the other and says, you can have the rest. And if you were one of the rest, it wasn't even as if you were picked last. You were just one of the rest. And that kind of thing sticks with you, doesn't it? And when you hear you're a chosen people, you think, yeah, but everyone else is chosen, but I'm not chosen. And and yet we forget very quickly that everyone gets to play in the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as a non-chosen one. Everyone gets to lead in the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as those who lead and those who don't lead. Everyone gets to lead themselves and everyone gets to lead somebody else in the kingdom of God. And God gives different gifts and different abilities, but he calls all of us to lead. And he's building a spiritual house through you. You get to play. And then some of you go, yeah, but I'm not a royal priesthood. I mean, what even is that? What even is that? A royal priesthood? I don't know. Well, that is, and I'm not, I know I've got, I've got a different gift, and, and there will be truth in that, because some of us are pioneers, and some of us are pastors, and some of us are the salesmen of the kingdom of God, the evangelists, and some of us are the prophets, they hear from God, and some of us, they've got all these different gifts that God gives to us, and we can say, well, I'm not a priest, and, but actually, if you read that passage of scripture, it says, we, like priests, are representing God. We are the ones who pray. We are the ones who represent. We are the ones who stand in the gap. We are the ones that make a difference. And then some of us go, you know, I'll take a brick and I'll, I'll, I'll pray a prayer and I'll do the thing. But actually, I've, I, I get freedom to choose to act the way I want to act. I don't have to join a family. I don't have to join a church. I don't have to be part of something. I can hang out in the balcony every Sunday if I want to and never join anything. I don't have to come to to a small group. I don't have to give any money. I don't have to do any of those things. After all, I'm a student and I'm a student. I'm going to be here for three years and I can just wander around. I don't need to do anything I don't want to do because who died and made you the boss? Because the number one value of the world today is freedom. I don't need to do anything. And And... The scriptures would say uh, that's not entirely true. Because yes, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. But we are a people belonging to God. As we build the family of God, we're a people belonging to God. And we get to play in this beautiful thing called the kingdom. The realm and reign of the love and justice and peace and grace and mercy and compassion and truth of God. Where everything that God wants happens. But in this kingdom there is a king. And the king in the kingdom is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And he comes into our lives not just as best friend, big brother who's going to make everything right for us. But he comes as authoritative lord and saviour. And he says there are things that you need to do if you're going to live life in all its fullness. Here is a framework. Do you know, I'm absolutely convinced that there are two key moments in the life of a believer. Moment number one. When you realize for the first time in your life that you are deeply loved by God in heaven. That he is full of grace for you and full of forgiveness for you. And you say to him, if that is your love, I am all in. That's the moment you get saved. And I think the second most important moment is the moment when you realize how incredible the grace of God is. How incredible the love of God is. And how incredible the call of God is. And you say, if that's your love, that's your call, and that's your kingdom, then I surrender my rights 
and I lay it down because you're Lord and I am all in. And Peter says, here's the thing, you get to build a household of God. You get to build a spiritual household because you're all chosen, because we get to be priests and because you belong to me and I'm shaping my people and I'm shaping my kingdom and I'm shaping this message which is going to change the world through you. And you don't any longer have to build something that's with bricks and mortar. You don't have to build a life and spend your life giving yourself for stuff that will perish and will fall down. You get to spend your life giving yourself for stuff that will last eternity. Do you know, the one thing I've learned about watching Grand Designs for a long, long time is that if you're going to do this thing, if you're going to build a house from scratch, you better have a clear narrative and a secure vision of what it's going to look like. You better have it. I tell you why you better have it. You better have it because building a house is going to suck. It is. Every single Grand Designs takes a year longer than they plan for it to take. You have to live in a caravan. The weather is the worst on record ever. And it comes in through the caravan. Your husband or your wife wants to leave you during this period of time. Your kids don't get fed. And you have racked up the greatest bills ever because your budget went twice over the budget. And, 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 the, and the, uh, the people who were... Um, uh, bringing the windows, didn't bring the windows until six months after they should have bought the windows and, and, and it's all on TV for everyone to see. You better have a clear vision of why you're doing this thing. Hadn't you? There better be a clear why for how you're doing this thing. And the same is true with building a household of God. There better be a clear why you better know why you're doing this thing because it will be hard and it will be difficult and it will be countercultural, and you will be opposed by the enemy of God because he hates it when the people of God start building family. Let me tell you why that's true. The, the greatest contribution you can make to the kingdom of God is to build a family of God. Bar none. It's greater than being on any leadership team, leading any church, uh, speaking at any festival, doing anything. The greatest contribution you can do, you can give to the kingdom of God is to build a family of God. Why? Because in family you best reflect the image of God and you get on the mission of God. And that's why the enemy hates family. That's why he attacks marriage. That's why he attacks parenting. That's why he goes after these things because these things reflect the image of God and he hates it. So you better know why you're doing this thing. And Peter says why. We haven't got a lot of time. But he says this. Look, check it out. Verse 11. Verse 10. He says, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you've not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives. He says, do you know what? The why is because of who you once were. The reason you're building this spiritual house is because once you didn't belong to the spiritual house, once you were in darkness and now you're in light, once you were lost and now you're found, Jesus saved you and you know where you were and you know who you are. And God's done such an incredible thing in your life that you join the family business and you start to build a community. The why is because of who you are. You're an alien in this world. You don't belong here. 
You don't belong in Edinburgh or in Inverness or, 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 or in London. or You don't belong there. You belong to the kingdom of heaven. You're just passing through here. You're hanging out, whether you're a student for three years or whether you're, you're staying for a little longer or, or whether you're, you're just hanging out here. Which means you don't put the roots down that you would otherwise put down. It means you don't spend all your time and your energy in building houses. It means you don't spend all your time and your energy in in making careers and building things that will be temporary and won't last. You spend your time and you give yourself to building things that will last eternity, which are relationships for the kingdom of God. That's what you do. That's why. And one day, one day, one day, one day, when Jesus returns in all his glory, And kingdom is all there is. There's nothing else. There's no opposition. There's no more evil. There's no more terrorism. There's no more brokenness. There's no more cancer. There's no more diseases. One day, people who currently don't know God will know God because you built family. And they saw God. Isn't that cool? That's way cooler than three bothies in the West Highlands that some guy put a glass roof on. Because I tell you what, if this guy put a glass roof on it, it will blow off. <laughs> and even if you, it was totally amazing, put a glass roof on it. In a hundred years' time, there will not be a glass roof on it. But what you build when you build with love and grace and mercy and compassion and inclusion what you build will last eternity and people will come to know God and God will receive glory. What would it look like if for every thousand people in this city there was one family of God who allowed Jesus to permeate everything they did and thought and acted and they opened their lives to that community. What would it look like if for every social trouble in this city there was a family of God who loved Jesus and lived Jesus? What would it look like for every age group, for every interest group, there was a family of God who said, this is what we do. We demonstrate the kingdom of God to the people who don't know God yet. That's what all in's about. It really isn't about raising our budget. It's not about making sure this house stays really cool. It's not about having more worship leaders. It really isn't. It's not about any of those things. It's about saying, would you join me in the family business? Because we're going to build families of God. And we're going to build families of God that's going to change the city and change a nation. We're going to recognize that that God is allowing some of the institutions to crumble, some of the bricks to fall down. In fact, Jesus even said it would happen. And we're going to say, hey, never waste a crisis. Let's start building families that change the nation. Let's pray. deny them. I've watched these shows for a long time and I've got a lot of head information about um, how you build things and I've never built anything ever. I I I don't want that for you.
I really don't. I don't want for you that you have a whole lot of information about what it means to be church. But you never built anything. You never got about Jesus' business. So maybe just in the quietness, you want to say to God, you know, hey, I, I want to co-build. I'd really like to co-build because I recognize I'm part of the chosen people and I want us to be a royal priesthood. And I admit today that I belong to you, Jesus. So what you say, I'll do. Where you send, I'll go. I'm in. I'm all in. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you just minister to us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.